it is good to be back. And um, like Rich said, got, came back from Israel. Uh, we were joking, joking with Hayden about, um, he said Isaac had the Shekinah glory on him, you know, whenever he was here. Uh, I think that's true. I was roommates with Isaac, and uh, he's a great roommate. I don't know how great I am, but uh, he was a great roommate, and we got to enjoy pour-over coffee together every morning, and the land of Israel is unforgettable. So I'd never been, definitely first time, highlight trip for sure. So, um, well, I'm sure you've heard today, but we are going to begin a series on spiritual gifts. So how many of you got that email? Like three of you. Wow. Uh, well, if you're not on our email list and you want to get on the email list, quick plug for that. See Christy um, in the back and she can get you get you on that list. So surprise, if you didn't know that's what we were going to be studying, uh, we're jumping into a topic, the, the topic of spiritual gifts. And um, I know a lot of people are trickling in today. And uh, so for those of you, for those who aren't here, uh, you'll just have to catch them up on uh, this this series start here. Because uh, I'm just jumping in, I kind of went back and forth, should we start the series today? But I always have a lot to say about these topics, as you guys know. So we're going to go ahead and jump in so we don't uh, drag these things out any longer than they need to. Alright, well this series really flows out of where we ended last semester. So if you were with us then, you'll remember that we spent almost that entire semester, I think we spent the whole semester, studying spiritual growth, how we grow. Uh, We learned that once Christ saves us, that that's not the end. It's just the beginning. We learned that Christ began a renovation project at our salvation. He's starting to turn us into the new humans he's always destined us to be. And he is thoroughly committed to making us more like him. So that was our topic last semester. We looked in-depth at the growth process that's given to us in Scripture. And I think pretty much all that's online if you want to go back and you're new. I know I've met several new folks um, now. All of that's on our website. You can go check that out. So you could say that God saves us in order to grow us, but it doesn't stop there either, right? God grows us to use us. So he saves us to to grow us, and then he grows us to use us. And that's what spiritual gifts are all about. As we're going to see today, God has equipped every single one of his children with a profound capacity for usefulness in the church. So when you were saved, he added you to his body and he gave you a function. So let's take the metaphor that we're aware of. It's you know, like an arm, an eye, a femur, depending on wherever you're gifted. Now you may not be sure exactly what part you play in the body, but you can rest assured that God has designed you to play a part. In fact, every single believer here not only has a capacity, but in a very real sense is absolutely indispensable to the growth of our church. Right here at Timberlake. Indispensable. And for that reason, it's, it's crucial that we gain clarity about how we fit. Because I would assume a lot of you have some questions about spiritual gifts. But just imagine for a moment just how crucial this is. Just imagine... That your hand, your physical hand, right? Has everybody got one? Yeah, your physical hand did not realize that it was a vital part of your body. Okay, let's pretend your, your hand had a brain. No, it doesn't. But let's pretend that it didn't realize just how vital of a part it plays in your body. That would be a very, very big problem. 
Let's say it's your right hand and that you're right-handed, okay? Why is that a problem? Well, there's a mouth and a stomach that's not getting food because the hand is not functioning. So your entire body lacks nutrition. There are shoes that are not getting put on efficiently because the elbow and the knee have to try to work together to do it, even though that's not what they're designed to do. There's a left hand that's working double time. Why? Because the right hand doesn't realize it's a hand, and as such, it's a vital member of your body. It doesn't realize that. Now, the Bible says the same is true of us. It actually uses this body metaphor uh, for the spiritual gifts. And Paul especially tells us that each one of us have been assigned an indispensable role for the growth of the church. He says in Ephesians 4.16, we'll look at this today, that when each part is working properly, that's the language he uses, when each part is working properly, the body makes the body grow. So there's a key component there is this when every part, every single one of us is working properly as God has intended. So that means then the inactivity or just kind of warm in a pew, that's not neutral. When you come to church and you're just, you're kind of a, uh, you're on the fringes, that's not good. It's actually harmful. Okay, you tracking? That's a harmful thing to the body. Why? Because you're gifted by God to play a part in the body that you attend, that you're committed to. And if you're not being used, if you're not using your gift and service to the church, then the body is not as healthy as it could be. But the converse is also true. If you are leveraging your gift and seeking to to be useful to Christ in the body, no matter how you're gifted, you can know, all right, you can know that more people will be saved as a result of you using whatever gift the Lord has given you. And you can know that more people will fight sin better in some capacity because of whatever gift you have and you're employing. And you can know that more churches will be planted because you're using your gift in the body, no matter how insignificant or crucial you think your gifts are. The more you play your part, the more fruit will result. Now, that's obviously pretty important, right? That we kind of get some clarity on our gifts. But it doesn't take long to realize there's, there are a lot of unanswered questions in our minds typically when it comes to the gifts. you have any? Is it crystal clear to you? <laughs> there are a lot. And if you were like, oh, it seems pretty straightforward to me, just, just consider this. Maybe you've heard you're supposed to have a gift, but you're not really sure what they are exactly. Anybody in that boat? Okay, it's okay if you raise your hand. All right, well, does the scripture give us any examples of these gifts? Yes, it does. Are scriptures lists exhaustive? Or are, they, or are there more beyond what the Bible actually says? What about the more miraculous kind of gifts? Like healing or tongues or prophecy. Is that still happening today? One church says no, another church just down the street says yes. So which is it? Maybe you're wondering if you, if you even have a gift because you don't think you're very necessary in the body. Maybe you've never really thought about where you flourish in the body. You wonder if it's even possible to identify your gifts. How would you go about figuring that out? If you have to work at an area, if you have to work hard, you know, in an area in the church, does that mean you're not gifted at it? Is a gift just automatic? 
And once you think you might have an idea of how you're gifted, how do you go about using it? Should you only serve where you're gifted? Or should you be willing to do anything at all? So, a lot of questions, right? And that's just, we're just starting to scratch the surface of some of these, some of these questions. And, and Lord willing, over the course of this semester, we'll see how long it takes, but over the course of this semester, we'll address these questions as best as we can. And my goal in this series is to expose you to the Scripture's teaching on this crucial area of gifts. And I want to do that so that you can become more aware of how the Lord has wired you, and so that you can get after using those gifts, or as we're going to say, maximizing those gifts, excelling in those gifts for the good of the church. Now, where, where are we going here? Well, over the next two weeks, we're going to start, you know, in a kind of a general, high-level, biblical framework for the gifts. So I want to just kind of give you some observations about a few key texts that will help us sort of frame up these gifts and put it in its context. And then in the following weeks, we'll take our time and we'll look at all the various categories of the gifts listed in Scripture. From the miraculous all the way to the kind of the mundane. We'll look at all those categories of gifts listed in Scripture, and that'll take us probably about about three weeks, maybe four. And then we'll wrap up by looking as, as practically as we can about how to identify where you're gifted and also how to maximize your gifting in service to the church. All right, so that's kind of the goal of the series and the overview. So today, I want to start to lay out a basic framework of what the scriptures teach about these gifts. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, so you can go ahead and turn there. I think we'll be there in all of our time this morning, Ephesians 4. It's a great passage to go to for this, this framework. And as you're flipping there, let's, let's, uh, let's try to establish a working definition here um, of spiritual gifts. So what, what exactly is a spiritual gift? Have you thought much about that? What is, a, what is a gift? How would you define it? Just kind of think to yourself for a second. How would you, if, somebody, if your friend asked you about spiritual gifts, how would you define it without just like listing the gifts? So... I asked myself that question, I was thinking, thinking about it this week, and it's a basic question, I know, but we've got to start here. So after some thought, here's how I would frame up that definition, just as simply as I can. I would say it like this, a spiritual gift is a specific God-given ability to build up the church. Okay, a spiritual gift is a specific and God-given ability to build up the church. So that's not all we could say about gifts. We're going to say a lot more about them. I had like a, a paragraph and a half definition of it for you um, in my study, and I pared it down and I decided to go a different route. So <laughs> here's the shortest definition uh, that I could give you. A spiritual gift is a specific... God-given ability to build up the church. So at its heart, you can see I underlined that word ability. At its heart, a spiritual gift is an ability. Okay? It's a skill. It's an activity. A ministry. Okay? The Bible uses those terms for the gift. Uh, uh, an activity, a ministry in 1 Corinthians. It's a specific skill. Okay? So it's not just skill in general, but it's specific. 
So the Bible will lay out a number of categories of these gifts. It's a specific skill, something that's individually tailored to you, something like teaching or exhorting or giving or showing mercy or a combination of gifts. And these gifts intersect with your personality, your intellect, your background, where you come from, how God's wired you. But this specific skill doesn't originate with you. Okay? It's, the Bible is clear. It's a gift from God, and we'll look at that. It's given by him freely to you through Christ. And it's not ultimately for you either. Although you're going you're gonna to certainly derive a ton of joy from using your gift and maximizing your gift and seeing the fruit that God produces through the use of your gifts. But it's not ultimately about you. It's about the building up of God's church. And that's our working definition, okay? So that's, that's what we're going to use pretty much the whole time we're here. And, and I think today, we can, you can think of today as sort of adding to that definition. We're going to add to it a few observations about the gifts from Ephesians 4, and that'll help kind of orient us generally to this topic. So I'm going to give you four of them today, and then next week I'm going to give you five more, okay, from other, other passages. So there's a lot, and, and that's just, that's not even all I could give you, okay? But again, just trying to give you a framework and not to overwhelm you. All right, so let's look at these observations. We'll call it four observations about the gifts from Ephesians 4. Now, the first thing that we see about these gifts, starting in verse 7, is this. We could say it like this. Spiritual gifts are a manifestation of God's grace to the church. Give you some time to write that down. Spiritual gifts are a manifestation of God's grace to the church. So one of the first things that we see when we come to this passage in Ephesians 4, one of the first observations we can make is that the gifts don't originate with us. They don't come from us. Our ability to contribute to the growth of the church comes from God himself. Our gifts are given by God as an undeserved grace. So that's why if you look in Ephesians 4, 7, Paul simply calls these gifts grace. So look with me in, in verse 7 here. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, again, Paul can use grace and, and kind of refer to several things when he's talking about that, but here he's talking about grace for ministry, these gifts. And you pan out in the wider context, and you'll see that gifts are clearly the context here. And notice, who gave this ability? Paul says this grace was given. Right? It was given. So by whom? Well, he doesn't specify in the verse, but the context makes it crystal clear that it's the Godhead, it's Christ, and specifically here. Other passages say that God gave, gives the gifts. Some attribute it to the Spirit. The point is that, that the Godhead is the one who's, who's, the origin of these gifts are coming from him, and they're given to us. And the point is that we didn't come up with them ourselves. Okay? In fact, not only did we not come up with them, not only were they not sort of inherent to us, If left to ourselves, we would be headed in the opposite direction. We would be opposing the church and trying to tear the church down, not seeking to build it up. 
Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins before Christ. That we were following the prince of the power of the air. We were all worshipers of Satan, whether we knew it or not, is this point in Ephesians 2. That's alarming, but that's where we all were. So you and I, if left to ourselves, would not be building up the church. We wouldn't have any ability or power to do that. We would be tearing it down because we would be following the prince of the power of the air. But God, in his sheer grace, Ephesians 2 says, came to us, gave us life, resurrected us from the dead, spiritually speaking. He taught us the gospel. He turned us back to himself. And he says in Ephesians 2 that even our good works, those things that we do in our gifts, you know, as we're using our gifts in the body, those good works, those were prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, that we should walk in them. So these abilities to build up the church, these abilities to perform good works, what are they? Paul says they're grace. They are a grace, an undeserved gift, and rightly so, because we don't deserve them at all. We didn't do anything for them. We didn't earn them. God has given, to, God has given, this, given them to us freely. Now, this is absolutely crucial to keep in mind at the outset here, as we're getting just kind of wading into our study on spiritual gifts. Why? Well, it keeps us from thinking that we're something because we might have an ability that the Lord uses to build his church, right? The moment that we're tempted to take credit for something in the church, to be noticed by our pastors, to be affirmed in the baptism testimonies of others that we kind of played a part, any moment that we're tempted like that, we remember that our usefulness, our gifting, is all of grace. It's all of grace. It's a sheer privilege to serve. It should not matter who gets the credit for our work because God is the one who gave us the gift and made us useful anyway. We can't brag or boast or take any credit for any fruit in the church. So we've got to know, we've got to see that the, the, these gifts are manifestations of, God, of God's grace. And that, that understanding that helps us remember that it's the greatest privilege to serve. It's the greatest privilege to serve. We don't deserve a post in God's church. We don't deserve to be made useful. And yet he has joyfully given us this grace. To every single one of us in here, no matter where you're at, if you're a Christian, he's graced you with this. What an undeserved privilege to be used by Christ for the building up of his body. So, spiritual gifts are a grace gift. It's kind of the idea of this first observation. They're a manifestation of God's grace to the church. But Paul says more about them. Notice the second, observations, uh, second observation about the gifts from this verse, and we can say it like this. Spiritual gifts are form-fitted to the individual believer. Spiritual gifts are form-fitted to the individual believer. In other words, spiritual gifts are wonderfully diverse, and they're specifically apportioned to every church member. They're diverse, so you see lots of examples of different kinds of gifts, not all the same. And Christ specifically apportioned a certain number or measure of them to you and not others. So we see this in the same verse in Ephesians 4, 7. 
Grace was given, Paul says, but how? It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Do you see that? Verse 7. According to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, Christ has measured out your spiritual abilities. He's measured them out. They're form-fitted to each one of us. Christ chose what gift or gifts you would have and how much of it you have. And he did it completely for his purposes because he intends to use you in those ways in the body. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 12. So let's see if I can do this efficiently here uh, with a mic in my hand. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 and keep your finger in Ephesians because we're going to come back here. First Corinthians 12. I want you to see this. Paul talks about this concept of kind of this, this tailor-made, form-fitted gifting here in First um, Corinthians 12. So after he details out a bunch of different kinds of gifts, he tells us kind of the different options of, of the gifts In verse 11, he tells us that it's the Spirit who is sovereignly determining who gets what. Notice the language in verse 11. He says, all these, are you there? 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. All these being all the different gifts. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Listen to this. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What's he saying? He's saying the Spirit is the one who's apportioning to every single one of you, and then just in case you missed it, individually, he knows your name, he knows he know, he's created you, he knows the gifts that he's given you, he's apportioned that to you, and he does it according to his own desires, according to his will, what he wants. Paul's making a point here. The Spirit sovereignly chose what gifts to bless you with and what gifts to withhold from you. He makes no mistakes and his purposes are good. You can trust him. He goes on to say in verse 18 of the same chapter, if you look down there, he says, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So God is saying, I want you here. Not there. Here. And I want you here. Why? Because it's what he wants. It's his desire. So this means then that we can be comfortable in our own spiritual skin, so to speak. Content. Right? Not lazy, but content. We don't have to be insecure or envious or wishing that we had someone else's gifts because to do that is actually the height of pride. How so? We're accusing God of making a mistake in how he fashioned you to be part of his body. We're envisioning that that we could make ourselves more useful than God has made us. And we're doubting his incredibly wise design for the overall good of his body. And, not only that, but we're wasting precious time in gift envy. 
How so? Well, we're, we're wasting time because we're wishing we were a different body part when we're actually another body part, right? And we need to be focusing on being the best foot or eye or hand or mouth that we can possibly be and not pining away wishing we were something different because that's harmful to the body and it, it's, it's not trusting the Lord, okay? And this passage here in 1 Corinthians 12 and others, they also indicate that, that every single one of us is indispensable to the body. We've already talked about that, but it's, it's every, every person plays a crucial part. And you've been designed by God to play a part. So that is super encouraging, because even to the smallest role, right? So, I don't know what you think about, but like a spiritual eyelash. That's what you are. Like, you play a part. If you're the eyelash, you help protect the eye from irritants so that it can keep seeing, right? Because seeing is crucial. The eye wouldn't be able to function very well without you. So that means then, since we're indispensable, we can't spectate or remain on the sidelines in church life. 1 Peter 4 calls the gifts a stewardship, which means God's given them to you, and he's going to hold you accountable for what he's given you. And he didn't design you to be a spectator in body life. God's designed us to be vital to the growth of the body and a necessary part, not just the pastor's. Right? And finally, last implication here is that we are form-fitted for usefulness in some very specific ways, yes, but that also implies that we're limited too. The hand isn't also the foot and also the ear at the same time. That means we're dependent on the rest of the body to function well for our benefit too. It's a mistake to think that some in the church have the total gift package, like our pastors or someone who has a very prominent serving role in the body. Nobody has the total, pack, total gift package, okay? And that's by God's good design too. Because he intends to keep you dependent on the other members of the church. He wants you to receive grace as well as give grace in the church. All right? He's designed us to be interdependent. We see all that from this, this chapter here. So turn back over to Ephesians. Got to move quickly here. So these gifts are a grace from God, and they're, they're form-fitted to each one of us. As incredible as this is, Paul keeps going. He tells us that these gifts are also um, given to us to build up the church. Okay, and that's our third observation from Ephesians. Spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. And that is in fulfillment of Scripture. Spiritual gifts are given to edify. For mutual encouragement. For the common good, Paul says. And there's a, there's a thread that binds all those together. It's for others' benefits, not for you. Spiritual gifts are to build up the church in fulfillment of Scripture. Now, you're saying, why, why are you tagging that little phrase on in fulfillment of Scripture? Well, that's where Paul goes. And I love his inspired wisdom here. He says back in verse 7, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, he's quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 68, 
When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now he explains. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave, notice there, there's a connection back to the verse, and he gave the apostles, the prophets. So those are some of the gifts he gave to men from Psalm 68. Now, these are some interesting verses. Uh, And they seem to come almost out of the blue here. But as we'll see, they are profoundly encouraging. At a high level, Paul's wanting us to see that our gifts, these graces from God, are actually given to us for a purpose in fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. So, let me quickly unpack what Paul's saying here, and hang with me, because this will be worth it. Okay? What Paul's doing is he's loosely quoting, I say loosely, because it's not identical, but he's loosely quoting here from Psalm 68, 18. And he's essentially saying that this psalm was written ultimately about the event he just spoke about. This event where Christ poured out gifts on all of us. Okay, so he said, the logic, listen to the logic here. Christ did this, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, the inference, therefore it says. So in other words, this is why this was written ultimately about this event. So according to Paul, the psalm is functioning prophetically. It's ultimately looking to the ascension of Christ, Paul says. But, here's where it gets interesting. If we were to go back to this psalm and check it out, it would appear that the psalm is not about Christ, per se. But it's about the Lord. It's about Yahweh. It's about Yahweh ascending the mountain of Jerusalem. The psalm poetically tells the story of God's rescue of Israel from Egypt, their subsequent conquest of Canaan, and then Yahweh's ascent to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on an on a elevated place. So their ascent to Jerusalem. There's your geography from the Israel trip. Uh, Rich, wherever you are. I check that box. Okay, It's about his ascent to Jerusalem. To make Jerusalem his dwelling place. So that's the original reference to the phrase in our text. When he ascended on high, with on high being Jerusalem. And in this ascent to Jerusalem, Yahweh, it says, led a host of captives. Again, we're in Psalm 68, not this text here. It said he led a host of captives, meaning he took prisoners of war, likely through King David. And it's probably a poetic reference to all the enemies of Israel conquered by David and the previous leaders of Israel. Then the Psalm text says Yahweh received gifts from men. Psalm 68, Yahweh received gifts from men. This is a reference to the contributions made by Israel for the building of the temple in Solomon's day. That's a crucial point. Okay, It's a reference to Yahweh receiving contributions to build the temple in Solomon's day. Now, there's a prophetic pattern at play here. First, there's an ascent of Yahweh to rule in victory over his enemies. And second, there's a receiving of gifts for the building of the temple. The psalm itself ends with an expectation of a future work of God that's sort of cast in the same pattern. 
And Paul here in Ephesians 4 sees it fulfilled typologically in the ministry of Jesus. Paul interprets the one who ascended as Jesus himself. He ascended in victory over his enemies. Ephesians 1 told us about that. He ascended over his enemies, the hostile powers described over in chapter 1 by virtue of his death. And this is exactly how Paul goes on to explain the meaning of this quote in verses 9 and 10. Jesus, as the one who ascended in glory to heaven over his enemies, this is the same one who first descended, he says, in death to accomplish the victory. Now, some people have interpreted this text to mean that Christ descended into Hades or Sheol and let out all the Old Testament saints. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that's what Paul's referencing. I think it most naturally means his descent to the grave by way of the cross. But the point here, the only point I'm trying to make is in this context that just like Yahweh received gifts for the building of a physical temple, now the Lord Jesus gives gifts for the building of his end-time temple, the church. In fact, the way Paul quotes this text, he's saying that Jesus' ascension and bestowal of spiritual gifts is the climactic fulfillment of the pattern of Psalm 68. Why am I dragging you through all that? All right, if I've lost you with all that Psalm 68 info, key back in. Hopefully I didn't, but key back in now. I took you through that because I want you to, to see something glorious about spiritual gifts. When you exercise your gift, when you serve in the body, when you lay your life down for the good of others, you are helping build the end-time temple, the eschatological temple. That's what Paul wants us to see. He told us back in chapter 2 that now in Christ we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord and are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2. Do you hear that language? The church is this predicted temple where God lives and will live forever and we get the privilege of being gifted to build it up. So when you serve, you are fulfilling promises made to the saints millennia ago. You are participating in the most climactic pattern of all of Scripture. And that is a privilege. And Paul, why does he say this? Because he wants us to see it. He knows we need to be reminded of this. We have to connect these dots. This has to be convictional for us because if we're honest, serving does not always feel like a privilege. Needs are needs, (laughs) and they're difficult. Meeting needs takes energy, time, thoughtfulness, intentionality, resources. And if we're not careful, we can lose this perspective. We can lose sight of the bigger vision of why we're serving. And we can even lose sight of what we're seeking to accomplish when we serve. It's all too easy to get in the grind of ministry, you know, making the coffee before boundless, caring for the babies in nursery, stacking the chairs after the service, getting to know that new student. It's easy to get caught in the grind of this and think the mission is just to keep the ministry machine going day after day after day. But that's not what's happening. It's far more glorious than we realize. So we've got to actively call this to mind. The next time you spread mulch at the church work day, the next time you spend extra hours helping a friend work through an issue in their lives, you are fulfilling Scripture. As you build this new temple, 
What an incredible and glorious mercy. And we are profoundly privileged to serve. Now, down in verse 12, Paul changes the metaphor just slightly from the temple to the body. Okay? But he says that our gifts are still for building it up. Notice, in, notice that in verse 12. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the 11, the shepherds and teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the idea here is that as we're equipped and we work in ministry, that builds up the body of Christ. And then down in verse 16, he tells us that the body grows when each of us uses our gifts properly. The net effect is that the body builds itself up in love. So this means then that gifts aren't merely about your personal fulfillment. Okay? They're given to you for a far more noble purpose to enhance Christ's own body, his church, to strengthen it, to help bring each other to maturity. So this means that the more you maximize your gifts, that the, the more people will be saved and sanctified. And that will happen either directly or indirectly. But it will happen. That's why God gave you the gifts in the first place. And that's why he apportioned them out to you in the way he did, for the salvation and growth of his people. So you can be confident that when you use them, growth here at Timberlake will happen. That's what he's designed it to do. Now, as incredible as all, the, as all this is, um, we're often still at a loss of knowing exactly where we fit in the church. You know, how do you discover your gifts, and how do you use them effectively? Well, Paul goes on to say in this passage that it happens, this sort of discovery and equipping happens right here in the church. He says you'll need to be equipped if you want to become useful in ministry. So we could say it like this. Spiritual gifts are fostered by church leaders. They're fostered, they're there, or they're fostered by the equipping ministry of the church. In other words, you don't discover your spiritual gift by going into your room at night and filling out a spiritual gifts survey online by yourself. The way you find your gifts, the way they're discovered and maximized are right here in the context of the local church, and particularly by this equipping ministry, he says, of church leadership. Spiritual gifts are discovered and enhanced in the context of the local church. Notice in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, that Christ gave some gifted individuals to equip the rest of the church body in ministry usefulness. It says, he gave the apostles, there's one, the prophets, Two, evangelists. Three, shepherds and teachers. There's four. Why did he give these individuals? To equip the saints. So there it is. That's everybody. The saints is the church. To equip us for what? For the work of ministry. So ministry work is another way of talking about how, how you use your spiritual gifts. And Paul says here that certain gifted leaders equip the rest of the saints to be useful in their own gifts. Now, we're not going to get into this now because we're out of time, but we're going to do a deeper dive into the apostles, prophets, and the rest of what we see here. But what I want you to see right now is that the path to discovering and using your gifts effectively happens in the context of the church. Meaning you need equipping from faithful leaders if you're going to be useful. You need to be taught from the Word of God how to be useful. So you can just insert our whole series last semester on maturity and growth. 
Because as you mature, you're going to become more useful in your gifting. And part of that equipping is happening right now as we speak, as we're going through a series like this. But it's also happening every Sunday as you grow into Christ. Because the more like Christ you are, the more effective you're going to be in the work of ministry. And the fact that our gifts are fostered in the church is extremely encouraging. Especially for those of you who might not know how the Lord has gifted you don't need to, to, to go find you know, a spiritual gift inventory and take it. Instead, this text says that as we get involved in the church, as we seek to meet needs, that the church will help equip us. So that means then that my brothers and sisters in Christ will encourage and affirm me in the areas of strength that God's given me. It means they're going to help me graciously see my limitations. They're going to help me see if I'm a foot trying to be an ear, you know. They'll help me learn to work properly to maximize my gifting by providing that feedback and encouragement and teaching. I'll also see examples of others who are more mature in their gifts. And they'll give me a template of what I can aspire to as well. That's because our gifts, Paul says here, are fostered in the church through its equipping ministry. All right, so that's just a, just a, a high-level crash course, just getting started on some, some observations from Ephesians 4 that are giving us the framework for spiritual gifts. So remember back, what was our definition? Spiritual gift is a specific, yeah, specific ability, and it's given by who? God, and why? For the building up of the church, that's right. They're a manifestation of grace. They're form-fitted specifically to you. They're given for a purpose. And they're fostered right here among God's people. And next time, we're going to leave Ephesians 4. We're going to survey some other key texts of Scripture. We're going to glean a few more observations about these gifts. And while I'm on the topic, speaking of key texts, let me go ahead and give you a few before you close your journal. Okay, You can read them this week. Beyond this text, there, there's Romans 12, 3 through 8. Okay, Romans 12, 3 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. That's probably the longest extended section on spiritual gifts. It is the longest extended section on spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. It gives some specific detail about prophecy and tongues. Peter also talks about the gifts over in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. And as we're going to see next week, we can glean some really encouraging observations about these gifts from Paul's letters to Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 15. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 15. Paul's going to tell Timothy to practice his gift and to make progress in it. It's interesting. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Paul tells him to rekindle his gift. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7. So again, there's, there's some others, but that, that, that'll, that'll be enough to get you on. And uh, last thing I'll say is just, if you're kind of motivated and you're thinking, whoa, we're just kind of getting started on this, but you've not really told me much data here as far as like what to do, breathe easy and love the church. Love the people around you. Fun fact, 
the most extended treatment of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Do you know what's in the middle in 13? The love chapter. It's about spiritual gifts. Love is central to the gifts, meaning if you focus on loving people around you, guess what's going to happen? Your gifts are going to come out because that's how God's wired you. So we'll talk a lot more about that later, but that's just a practical last tidbit there. Okay, you'll be dismissed now. Uh, We'll we'll be done. And uh, look forward to having you again next week and continuing our study. All right.